This is Startup Renegades, a raw conversation with founders, entrepreneurs, and the unicorns among us who have taken their idea and turned it into a thriving, profitable brand. I'm your host, Shauna Armitage, and my work as a fractional marketing director has led me to connect with dozens and dozens of founders in all stages of their startup journeys. Whether they're bootstrapping or fundraising or have capital on hand, there's one big question founders always ask, how do I grow this thing? On Startup Renegades, we'll explore how they did it, and you'll walk away with actionable steps you can take on your own journey to scalable growth. When Women's Collective Box founder Rochelle Whitehairs became a mother to her first child, Charlie, she decided it was time to become her own boss. As she navigated life as part new parent and full-time photographer, Rochelle discovered a network of women whose creativity and ambition and talent were changing the face of entrepreneurship. She saw firsthand how women, their ideas, and their products flourished within communities that valued their voices and empowered them to succeed. This experience inspired her to find new ways to harness the limitless power of women supporting each other's dreams. Now Rochelle is a mother of three, and she's on a mission to help women-owned businesses find their tribe. The Women's Collective Box delivers a collection of items from exclusively women-run businesses that represent the thoughtfulness, resolve, and artistry that set women apart. Each box brings the treasure hunt of conscious shopping to your front door, telling the story of the incredible women behind every product. With every quarterly delivery, you get to take part in supporting these business mavens of today, but also empowering the founders of tomorrow. 5% of all women's collective box proceeds go towards helping up-and-coming women entrepreneurs take their ideas to the next level. Let me tell you, this was such an amazing episode. I follow the Women's Collective Box on Instagram, so I know how powerful Rochelle's account is and how good she is at what she does. But her advice for other business owners about how you can build Instagram and how you can actually make it profitable for your business is really insightful. It's really actionable. And I think there's some golden nuggets in here that you are going to immediately want to take into your own business and start working on right away. On top of that, I just love the mission behind this box and what she's doing. And I'm really excited to share her story with you right now. Hey, Rochelle, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to come on here and talk. I'm so excited to learn about your business because you have a thriving business. I have seen your boxes sell out and it's such a unique concept. I think we see a lot of subscription boxes these days, but the women's collective box is truly unique. So take me back and tell me a little bit about your history. Yeah. So I was a photographer um, for probably the last six years. When I had my daughter um, the year after I got out of high school, um, I had always done photography and I started doing it full-time right after I had her. And then about four years ago, I got heavily into wedding photography and switched up my business to mainly that. And while I was doing wedding photography, I had found a really tight-knit community of women that I loved and were so helpful in growing. Even people that were in the photography industry, I had women that were just like wanted to model and just wanted to help support me. 
And that's really what gave me the idea to do Women's Collective was just that when women come together, we can just achieve so many things when we sit back and put kind of our competitive natures aside and really help each other out. I love that. So you are a mother, you've got three kids all within three years, which is a ton. You've got this business. Where did the idea come from to start the subscription box? Yeah. So originally Women's Collective was actually going to be a magazine. I had tossed around the idea of just wanting to support women and share their stories. And I honestly, it was such a passion project. I wasn't sure what it was going to look like when it came out. And as I worked on the magazine, I was like, you know, it would be really nice to have the opportunity to get these women's products right in their customer or ideal customer's hands. So that's kind of when the subscription box came into play is I was like, then they get to know the women and we have the booklets in each of the boxes that explains their story, but then they get to hands-on feel the product and see the quality. So that's kind of how it turned into the subscription box. I'm just a subscription box lover. So it kind of like just merged and happened um, really well. So how did you source your first couple of products? I have always been pretty active on Instagram. As a photographer, Instagram is a great platform to use. So there was women that I had already found through that platform that I had created a relationship with just online. So I I reached out to a few women that I knew that had products I thought would be a good fit and was like, hey, here's my idea. Um, I'm so lucky that they trusted me because looking back, I'm not sure why they did. But so I reached out to them and just said, hey, this is what I'm doing. Would you like to be a part of it? And I was just really, really blessed that um, I had women that wanted to be a part of it. So was there something in particular that you were looking for? Like when you curated this box, was it just women makers? Were there certain type of products that you wanted to include? Yeah, I really wanted to focus on handmade goods. As we've grown, I've tried to keep that. But obviously, as we get bigger, um, it's harder to do. I think you can see it on our Instagram and on our website, but there is a specific kind of vibe that we go for. Um, We have a lot of kind of boho items, um, a lot of pinks and orange tones, different things like that, that honestly, I, at the beginning of the season, I pick one item and kind of curate the box around it just so everything has a really intentional feel, which I think you lose with a lot of subscription boxes. They're so focused on value. They don't think of the curation and the box as a whole. And that's something that I've really never wanted to lose as we've grown and really focused on at the beginning. I love that. That's a real differentiating factor for your subscription box compared to any of the other ones out there. Yeah, I think it gets harder as you get bigger to be able to do that. So I feel really lucky that we've been able to maintain a size um, that it's very doable to be able to pick and choose what we want and for me to kind of personally curate it to the taste of the Women's Collective. So walk me through your first launch. How many boxes did you sell? How did you do it? Did you have a wait list? What did that look like? So the first box, I had no idea like what to expect at all. So it was like, my goal was 50 boxes. And I had put our first box launched March of 2020. And I had started this idea um, and project 
June of 2019. And I launched our Instagram page January of 2020. So about three months before our first box was supposed to ship out just to get an idea. And when I launched our Instagram, I had a lot of friends and family, obviously, that came to support. And just through sharing, I had started an email list. And it wasn't even a specific wait list. It was just people that were interested and had a really good turnout of that. So I was like, okay, you know what, I'll up it to 100. And if I sell those, like, I'll be totally content. I opened up pre-orders right before the first box shipped. And right off the bat, I think I had over a hundred. So our first box ended up selling 250. So that was amazing. It was way past what my goals and expectations were for our first season. Wow. So first of all, your business is just a baby. Your business is just one year old. And that is a killer launch. What was the growth plan from here? You had way past your original expectations for your first launch. What was the mindset going into the second launch? I didn't have a particular like growth mindset. I think looking back, that was actually one thing that kind of hindered our growth. We've been very successful, but I think we I could have actually grown faster if I had sat and thought that out. I am 100% a dreamer. So I get an idea and I go for it. And I don't sit there and think out the details all the time, which can be my downfall. But I have a husband who's very, very supportive and has helped me. Um, He's very good at reeling me in when I get a little out of control with things. So (laughs) until our third season, I really didn't sit down and think about growth and what percentage and all of those things. I was kind of just like winging it. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs will kind of say the same thing in their stories because I'm doing something new and I don't have the experience in it. A lot of what I learned was just Googling things and taking workshops and things like that. But I honestly didn't know what to expect. So after our first season, we had the 250 and I was like, you know what, I'm going to go for it and I'm going to double it for summer. And our summer box sold out right at the very end of the summer season. Mm -hmm. So I've just kind of, I've done a lot of it off of my gut and what I thought could sell or how I thought we were going to grow. A lot of it has been um, based off of our Instagram following as well. Um, We definitely see a huge result of our Instagram followers growing to our subscribers growing. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about Instagram because I know for a lot of startups, social media in general is a mystery. And one of the biggest problems is that they feel like they have to be on it because it's just an integral part of marketing these days. But they're putting all this work into it and they're like, well, it's not converting. Like, why am I still spending time, energy, money on Instagram when it's not actually converting into sales for me? So what's your strategy or your advice there? Yeah, I think for me, what my mission for the business was, was to be very community oriented with my customers. And so Instagram really helped me achieve that. I have said since the beginning, Women's Collective, down the line, I have more visions than it just being a box. It was never about the box. It was about the linking of women and the community of women together. So Instagram really let us harness that. 
I think with Instagram too, a lot of companies that I've talked with that aren't getting results um, that are bigger companies are throwing a lot of money into advertising. They're throwing a lot of money into influencers and those kind of things. Um, my mission has always been to find people that want to be a part of the community and that want to interact and engage. And to this point, I have not put a dollar into Instagram marketing as far as paying for paid ads or boosting posts or anything like that, because I I want to find people that are engaged and want to be a part of it. So even it comes down to what influencers I'm choosing on Instagram to represent my product. I actually don't use influencers. I use an ambassador program. And my ambassador program, I don't look at follower account. I look at how that ambassador engages with my account. Is that ambassador sharing my posts? Are they liking? Are they commenting? Because that's more valuable to me than someone I'm going to send a free box to. And then maybe I'll get one interaction or one post from them and they're done. So I always tell companies, if you're not seeing conversions on Instagram, it's probably because the engagement isn't there. So really focus on connecting with your community. And then you'll start to see the growth and then conversions from Instagram for sure. Oh my gosh. That's so insightful because we have all of these tips and tricks and strategies around Instagram and creating engagement or you know, tips for working with influencers. And I feel like your strategy has been do the opposite of everything that they said. And it's really worked for you. Yeah, it's interesting. I get that a lot. And I think that there's such a big influencer market. And there's so many businesses that are like, I have to be sending out free product, or I have to be paying influencers to get results. And I love influencers. I have nothing against people that do that or anything like that. But it has become such an industry where people are just getting free product and maybe they're not as invested in the product as they would be at one point. So a lot of my ambassadors, you'll see they're not ambassadors for other companies. They're not receiving free product from other companies. And that just allows me to get people that are really, really engaged. That's fantastic. So talk to me a little bit about what that looks like in the early stages, because once you have people engaging with your account, then you know who you want to work with as ambassadors. But when your account is still new, how do you find those people? How do you create engagement in the beginning? Yeah. So at the beginning, I will say I did send out free product to influencers. So as a startup, that might be worth it to do just to get a little bit of brand awareness. And everything that I know now is obviously based on what I did and what mistakes I made at the beginning. But I sent out a lot of free product the first and second season. And that allowed me to kind of see where I was getting more engagement from, who was more likely to post more than once. It allowed me to get a little bit of a following so that I could pick investors out of there. I will say for subscription boxes specifically, my conversion rate, a lot of it comes from YouTube. So I got a lot of my followers from sending out free boxes to bigger YouTubers so that even product-based businesses can definitely do that as well. But just to kind of form the community, a lot of what I did too was going into hashtags that were relevant for me. So a lot, a big one was like women empowerment or um, when I launched, it was national or international women's day. So I went into hashtags like that and just interacted with people that I liked their style or I thought their style was similar to mine. And I'd comment and I really tried to create genuine relationships. I still follow and engage 
with people that I followed right at the beginning that are now customers. I definitely think it's about being genuine with your potential customers to connect with them. That is fantastic advice. I love it. It's so important because that's the hard part is people don't know what to do in the beginning when they're small and they don't have a lot to offer other than product. So Mm -hmm. you're now a year old and you said you didn't have a lot of strategy around growth in the beginning, but you really learned from those mistakes. So what is it that you've learned and what are you doing for growth now? I definitely have a more formulated growth plan now. So we'll sit down and we calculate our growth per season. It's been tricky since we've sold out. So our growth potential could be even more than we're able to calculate. But for me now, it's really controlling the growth because for my mission, I don't want to grow too fast. Mm. So it's been really about just sitting down and hammering out the numbers, what budgeting for, how many boxes can I afford to send out for free? This is definitely a passion project, so we don't have huge profit margins and things. So at the end of the day, sitting down and looking realistically at how much can I spend on marketing and free boxes, how much can I spend on this, this, and this has helped tremendously with like figuring out where my growth can go. So really knowing your numbers is a key part of how you're planning for growth right now. Yes, yes, for sure. Because I'm fully self-funded. And I I think you have a lot of women-owned businesses are the same way. It starts out as a side hustle and then grows into maybe taking a full-time role. But they might not have the resources of getting a huge loan um, right at the beginning. That's one of the things, even looking back and looking forward, I would have a lot more growth potential if I had more funding. But I'm doing everything season to season and just really at this stage working on reinvesting into my business. We launched a marketplace in fall, which I honestly didn't plan on doing until about three years in, but there was a demand for it. But that was another investment that I had to sit down and and say, do I want to start making profit now? Or do I want to open up another opportunity that down the road, I can benefit more women-owned businesses by featuring them and in the long term, have my company's growth be better. So I really sat every time I sit down, I try to look at like what's going to help me grow and get to the place I want to be. And that long term thinking is a lot more helpful than sitting down and saying, you know, what's going to make me the most amount of money now, because that's not my mission to make money. So you definitely have to look long term growth over short term, which I think it's really hard to do in the moment. Hey, everybody, it's Shauna. I just wanted to take a quick break from this episode to remind you that there's lots of good stuff happening over at StartupRenegades.com. First, you can enter your email address, join the community, and get notified of discounts and specials that our featured founders are giving exclusively to the Startup Renegades community. Also, get notified when we have founder firesides, where we put the founders in the hot seats and give you the opportunity to ask them the questions in a one-on-one environment. Plus, you can join the Startup Renegades Business Workshop. This is a four-week accelerator for founders who need custom strategy, actionable next steps, and a true support system in order to scale. Is that you? If so, come join us at StartupRenegades.com and let's get started. You know, I think it's funny because... There's a lot of businesses that I personally know of where the goal isn't necessarily to make money, right? Like the founders want to take a paycheck and they want to pay the people on their team, 
but the goal isn't necessarily to make money. And I find that those businesses tend to do really well. Do you think that's because they're mission driven or just the founder mindset? Oh, 100% mission driven. I was just talking to my husband about this. I don't know how companies that aren't mission driven survive or want to keep on going because if I didn't have the mission behind this, I would have given up the first season because it's hard work and I'm not paying myself out a lot of times. So if I didn't love what I was doing and truly believe in it, I don't know why I would keep going on with it. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of founders don't pay themselves in the very beginning. That's Mm -hmm. definitely on the long-term growth plan though, right? Right. (laughs) It's definitely about, I think, reinvesting, especially as a new business. It was definitely a learning curve for me because I came in from photography where you don't have overhead. So, I mean, you pick up a camera and you have your camera costs and your equipment costs, but then it's a lot of profit margin. Whereas you go into a product-based business and your profit margins are very slim. I try to keep our profits, our profit margin as big as I can by doing a lot of things myself. I definitely think that when we talk about entrepreneurship, it's so highly glorified. And especially when you're an early stage founder, You don't just have to wear a lot of hats. Sometimes you have to wear all the hats. So what were the biggest roles that you played in moving the company forward in the beginning? Because you were the social media manager, you were the visionary, you've run all operations. Is there a role that I'm missing? I think that covers it. I think the things that have been the biggest parts for me was social media management because it's so time consuming. And at first you might not see a big return on it. It's very time consuming to sit and engage on hashtags, but that's something that has helped me grow. And then fulfilling the orders themselves is very, very time consuming as well. So right now I'm putting 500 boxes together for our spring launch and I'm doing it from the time I wake up to the time I go to sleep and then trying to tie that into social media as well and doing everything all at once. It definitely is a lot to do. I think as a founder, when you start like going into it, I knew I wanted to give it my all and hopefully in a few years, you know, it pays off, but I knew going into it that I wanted to be really dedicated to doing whatever I needed to do. Yeah, I can totally see that. When you look at your account on Instagram, it's definitely busy and vibrant. And there's always a wall of boxes somewhere, it seems like. I can't even imagine what that's like for you to have to fulfill those. Yeah, it's crazy. And right now, everything is done out of my house, which is really funny. When we started, I didn't put a lot of behind the scenes out there. And I actually rebranded in the fall. And I told the girl that was helping me with rebranding, I was like, I really want people to know that this is a small business and it's run by one person because I'd have these customer service emails that people thought we were an entire company. Wow. And I was like, no, like it's just me. And people were so surprised because they'd write me on Instagram and I'd reply and then they'd email me and I'd reply. (laughs) It was just kind of funny. So when we rebranded, I was like, I would like people to know that it's not a company um, just for purposes of them knowing what to expect um, when they order. But the box is done out of our house, which is, is so funny to people, I think. But every room right now in my house is filled with box things. (laughs) (laughs) So you are talking 
long-term plans now, really thinking ahead for the business. You are just a one-woman show at this point. What do you think is the next evolution of the business? I definitely think I've hit the wall at what I can do. So hiring out is definitely my biggest priority for 2021. I actually did just hire my first employee and her name is Anise and she is the most amazing person. And she just does a couple hours and she helps me with our ambassador program. And even just that like five hours of work she's doing a week, it clears so much time on my plate because once she has more experience in that area than I do, um, so she can handle it and do things a lot easier. Whereas I'm learning a lot of the roles as I go. So things that might take me five hours are going to take her one hour. So in 2021, I really want to focus on you know, what can I outsource that's going to take time off my plate and that they can do better than I can so I can focus on the things that I'm good at. I think this is pretty common in entrepreneurs, but I'm kind of a control freak. So that can be hard for me sometimes, but definitely remembering to let go what things that someone else could be doing easier. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so powerful coming from a fellow control freak. It's really hard to let go any of these pieces in your business because you feel like it needs to be done to a certain level and you know how you like it done. But in terms of growth and even just sanity, getting Mm -hmm. things off of our plates is so essential. I actually call that the five hour challenge, where if you write down tasks that you don't love to do, things that you would like to get off your plate. And what would you pay someone to do for five hours a week? And paying someone for five hours a week might save you 10 or 15 hours a week because it's not the part of the business that you loved doing. Yeah, I love that. That's a really good tip. I think for people starting a business, it is hard to write things off. But I think that's when you start getting burnt out is I've been working 20, you know, from when I wake up to when I go to bed, and I'm not doing things that I'm passionate about. So if I can hire someone for five hours a week, and it lets me focus on what I'm passionate about, I feel so refreshed in my day to day, not having to worry about those things. And I can definitely do the parts of it that I love way better. Yeah. And you're a mom to three young kids. How does that all work? It's chaos. It's chaos all the time. (laughs) When I started, I had planned on my daughter, who is my oldest, she's four. And then I have a three-year-old son and a one-year-old son. Um, She was doing full-time preschool. And then when COVID hit, obviously we pulled her out. Um, So through this first year, they've been at home with me the entire time. And so I've definitely had to practice the balance, but I think everyone's in this kind of time right now with COVID that, you know, we're just adjusting and doing what we can with no outside help. So my days look a little bit longer because I'm stopping eight times to get snacks or whatever, but being really intentional around the times that, you know, my husband is in retail. So there's days during the week that he has off. I have a sitter on one day a week on Friday. So I literally line all of my calls up on Friday because I cannot be on a call with a a one-year-old. It's just, just too chaotic. So definitely with them being home, it's all about the balance of things. You know, there's a lot of nights where I'm staying up past bed after they go to bed to get things done. 
But going forward, yeah, having them out of the house during the day would be a huge help as we go back to kind of our normal schedules after COVID and are able to put them in daycare and things like that. It's so true. There just is no normal anymore. We were talking about this before I hit the record button. I've got four kids. Two of them are school age. Two of them are not. And when the schools shut down here in Germany, all four of them were at home all day long. And I have an amazing babysitter, but there's still times that the two-year-old just wants mommy. And I've been doing Zoom meetings with her sitting on my lap and talking to my clients. And luckily, everyone is just lovely about it. But that's just the hard reality that there is no work-life balance right now. Yeah, And you still have to work at night to get it all done. And I think that we're just doing what needs to get done to get by right now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very true. I think it has been cool to see the amount of people that I'm on a call with, or I take a call with, and I have my one-year-old and my three-year-old going crazy. And they're like, oh no, big deal. Like, I think at this point, people are kind of used to it. If there's a screaming child or a dog in the background. So I think that's almost a cool thing that's gotten taken out is hopefully we continue with that okayness and acceptance (laughs) moving forward. I hope that what used to be considered professional isn't a thing once we were out of the pandemic. Because as a mom, my kids are a big part of my life. And sometimes I can't separate that from work. And I hope that that's something that we can all move forward together on the same page about. Where do you see the business going for you in the next couple of months? We have some big things rolling out with the marketplace. Last season, we rolled out mystery marketplace boxes, which has helped control our growth with our regular subscription boxes. Because if we sell out early, people can still get a curated box of women-owned goods. So we are putting a lot of focus into the marketplace. And then in the next few months... We're able to work a season out. So just scale, we're able to scale at a little bit bigger of a rate than we have in the past, which has been amazing. But just focusing on really making sure that the standards that I've created continue as we scale. So in the next few months, I'll definitely be working on having either my social media director, Anise, take more hours on or finding someone else that's local um, to kind of help with the load a little bit. Absolutely. So this is like the big question. What does being a startup renegade mean to you? Oh, that's a good one. I think it's very, very cool because we get to come up with what our norms are and what our, how we want our customer service to be, how we want our engagement to be. And I think just having that power to control it is very, very cool because I think that's the way that things will change with bigger companies and how they operate. What do you mean with how bigger companies operate? Like the CEO doesn't have that control? I think there's a lot of companies over this past year. I know Nordstrom was a huge one that started focusing a lot on small businesses. Mm -hmm. They would feature small businesses from store to store, um, local ones where they go. And I think a lot of that was brought on by you have such a big group of startups and entrepreneurs, and people are really putting their energy. um, They want to support small businesses. They want to support people's dreams. And I think us pushing on that is really what's causing bigger companies to have to either change what they're doing or change how they're doing it to accommodate what customers want to see. 
Oh, absolutely. Well, you are creating so much change and it's so refreshing seeing the boxes and what you are doing to support these female makers. I love it. Where can the audience find you? Mostly on Instagram at Women's Collective Box is where we're most active. We just started a group on Facebook called the Women's Collective Sisterhood, where you can connect with all of the other women and makers in the boxes. So yeah, definitely Instagram or Facebook. Thank you so much for being here, Rochelle. Thank you so much for having me. That was this week's episode of Startup Renegades. Thank you so much for joining me and soaking up all that brilliant entrepreneurial knowledge from today's guest. If you want to suggest a founder for a future episode or just want to connect, you can find me on Instagram at shauna.armitage. That's S-H-A-U-N-A dot A-R-M-I-T-A-G-E. And just a little reminder, if you liked what you heard today, be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. It makes a huge difference and it's so important for helping the show thrive. I'll be here same time next Tuesday for a raw, honest conversation with another startup renegade. Thank you.